Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Monday Matinee on the Mutual Audio Network, hosted by Pete Lutz. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Hi there, and welcome to episode 587 of the Sonic Society, your world weekly showcase of modern audio theatre. I am Jack Ward. And I'm David Alt. Uh, but uh, Jack, am I, am I reading this script correctly? Are we fitting four, four features in tonight's show? It's even bigger than that, David. Tonight's show by Aaron Corbett is his series called Your Three Stories, where each episode are three stories. Four shows in three? Well, I was never very good at math. That's why you're an English <laughs> teacher, Jack. Indeed. But without further ado, from the episodes Financial Crisis and Technical Difficulties, now there's a familiar name, it's all beginning right here. On the Sonic Society. The battle between man versus nature isn't always personal. Sometimes... It's just about business. In this tale, a financially desperate man may have bitten off more than he can chew. This is your second story. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming. My name is Gregory Sanders. I am the owner and CEO of Sanders Entertainment. I am officially announcing that on August 20th at 7 p.m. at the historic Grand Lakes Arena, my challenge of $100,000 to go three rounds with Francis the Friendship Bear has been answered. I will now introduce that challenger here today. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Pat Donald. Pat! 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 Hello, everyone. Pat will be available to take any questions you may have, but before we do that, I would like to introduce the beast that Pat will be facing on August 20th, Francis the Friendship Bear. Francis, 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 Francis. Calm down, everyone. 
Now, there'll be plenty of time to ask Francis questions in a few moments. Let's first open up questions to Pat Donald, the brave fighter who was the only person who accepted this challenge. Let's start over there. Pat! 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 To accept a challenge to fight a 1,600-pound grizzly bear sounds extremely dangerous. What is your fighting background? I've actually never fought before. This will be my first fight. I'm looking forward to it. Your first fight? If you're not a fighter, then what are you? I'm a dental hygienist. You're a dentist? No, 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 no. I didn't say that. I'm a dental hygienist. Next question, please. Pat! Pat! What makes you think you can last three rounds with Francis the Friendship Bear? You've never fought before in your life. I believe my motivation for accepting the challenge will power me through the three rounds. What motivations? I am carrying a severe amount of personal debt, student loans, uh, credit cards mostly. I do owe a substantial amount of money to my family and my friends, but they're lower on the priority list. The $100,000 will only cover a small portion of the overall debt, but (laughs) it'll be a nice start in the right direction for me. Pat, how can the chance to pay back a small portion of your own debt help you survive three rounds with a monster? I feel like I'm desperate enough at this point in my life to actually survive this. Hey, and if I die in there, my debt belongs to my kids. It's win-win for me. Pat! Pat! Do you have any self-respect at all? No. Okay. Now, let's direct some questions to Pat's opponent. Francis the Friendship Bear. This bear is over nine feet tall and weighs in at over 1,600 pounds. He is best known for grabbing fish out of rivers and killing people for sport. (laughs) I give you Francis the Friendship Bear. Francis, 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 Francis. Francis, Francis, how do you intend to handle a fighter who has no experience at all? Are you going to take it easy on Pat Donald? Francis, are the rumors about you and Penny, the dancing panda bear, true? Are you two an item? Francis, Francis, your merchandising company has seen serious accusations about breaking child labor laws overseas to save costs on manufacturing. Did you know that these practices were taking place? And if so, what do you intend to do about it? (laughs) Okay, 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 okay. No, No more questions. Thank you for coming. And we will see everyone at the Grand Lakes Arena on August 20th. Welcome, everyone, to the Grand Lakes Arena. Tonight, we have for you one of the greatest fights you will ever witness. We have Francis, the Friendship Bear, versus Pat Donald, the dental hygienist. Now, before we go down to ringside, let's listen to some pre-fight comments from our competitors. Three rounds. Three rounds can feel like an eternity when you are up against our generation's greatest fighter, Francis the Friendship Bear. Is $100,000 really worth it to you, Mr. Donald? 
this bear will rip you limb from limb. Francis, the friendship bear, is going to be able to have you fully digested before three rounds is even over. You are not just getting into the ring with a friendship bear. You are getting into the ring with a friendship monster. This event has free catering, so if you ask me, I've already won. Francis the Friendship Bear doesn't know who he's dealing with. The entire world is looking down at me and asking themselves how a man so pathetic can even dream of defeating a fighter so skilled, so respected. I say this to them. Tonight we answer one of history's oldest questions. Who would win in a fight? A bear or a financially irresponsible dental hygienist? The answer may surprise you. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to finish my free egg salad sandwich before I go to the ring. Outside the ring, Francis is about friendship and kindness. Inside the ring, Francis is about violence, punishment. But don't just take my word for it. Hear it from the bear himself. Let's go down to ringside, Francis. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our main event for the evening. Introducing first, fighting out of the red corner, standing on his hind legs at over nine feet tall and weighing in at over 1,600 pounds. Outside the ring, he is celebrated as an ambassador for kindness and beloved by children everywhere. Women pay to see him and men want to be him. He is all things to everyone. Francis the Friendship Bear! And his opponent, fighting out of the blue corner. He stands at roughly 5'7", or 5'8", maybe, weighing in at maybe 230 pounds of mostly water weight. Outside the ring, he is a total loser. Inside the ring, he is a total wild card. Pat Donald! Ah, shut your mouths. This is going to be the fight of the century. I agree. There is no telling how this one is going to turn out. And here we go. Francis is wasting little time and is chasing Pat around the ring. Pat is losing steam at an alarming rate. He is really struggling to run and breathe at the same time. It, it looks like Pat is getting a sharp pain in his side from running and has collapsed on the canvas. Francis is now applying his signature maneuver and is eating Pat alive. Francis is holding Pat in his mouth as if he were a fish and is shaking Pat from side to side, causing his lifeless body to flail about like a leaf in the wind. We are not even remotely close to the end of round one. It appears Pat Donald is dead. Francis has just dropped Pat's lifeless body onto the mat and is standing over him. It looks like Francis is inspecting the body. Francis is nudging Pat Donald's carcass with his snout and rolling him around. Francis seems calm at the sight of Pat's lifeless corpse and is casually strolling out of the ring. Francis's 
walking up the aisle and seems to have sauntered out of the arena. Wait, what is this? Pat Donald is standing up. Pat Donald, covered head to toe in deep gashes and torn flesh, is reaching for the microphone. He is about to speak. I was playing dead. And here is your winner by forfeit, Pat Donald! Where's my check? This, this is truly a dark day for the sport of bear and human fighting. Children all over the world have lost a hero tonight. Mr. Donald, can you explain to the people in this arena and the people watching at home how you can justify your cowardly win here tonight? I was able to win tonight because of advice my grandfather gave me a long time ago. He said, son, life is going to throw a lot of problems at you. So whether you're getting divorced, drowning in personal debt, or being attacked by a bear, the answer's always the same. Fake your own death. The world is a different place than what it was before this fight. Good night from the Grand Lakes Arena. I know you're booing me, but he actually did rip my flesh open. Looks like man defeats nature once again. However, if money means nothing to the bear, did Pat Donald really win? This was your second story. There's a very fine line between understanding money and understanding madness. In our final tale, the world's greatest financial mind can be found hiding in the deep woods. This is your third story. I have traveled to the deepest region of the deciduous forest in southern Ontario in search of a man who has removed himself from society, a man who was once known as the Money King. One of our country's greatest financial minds decided to just up and vanish one day, leaving everything behind. No explanations. All of the I's were dotted and the T's were crossed quickly before he disappeared without telling a soul. He didn't take a cent with him. He left it all to a handful of local charities. Now he lives out here, in the middle of nowhere. There is only one person who has ever made contact with the Money King in the ten years that he has been out here, and she has managed to convince him to let me interview him. Lisa, tell me how you came across Dan Streeland, or... The Money King. How did you possibly find him out here? I work for a foresting company. It was about five years ago. 
I've never come across anyone else out here before, so when I heard sounds of human grunting, I was very surprised and a little afraid at the same time. Grunting? I could hear grunting and someone lightly drumming on a plastic bucket. I took out my binoculars and I could see a naked man in the distance dancing and beating his hand on a plastic bucket. I called to him, but he ran off. Was he afraid of you? He seemed to be. He looked filthy. So gross. How did you end up speaking with him? After a few weeks working in the area, he started to watch me from a distance. I would pretend he wasn't there, hoping to make him feel more comfortable. He would get closer and closer each day. I didn't know who he was at first until I saw his picture in a news article. I recognized him right away. Did he speak to you first? That's the thing. He doesn't speak English anymore. What do you mean? He's developed his own language. How do you communicate with him? I had to learn it. Did he invent this language himself? Yes. It's a combination of new words and bucket sounds. A bucket? The bucket is everything to him. The old plastic bucket that you mentioned earlier? Yes. Lisa and I talked a lot on our lengthy journey into the Money King's living area. She spoke about learning an entirely new language and the sensitive subjects that she knows not to bring up around the Money King. You have to be very careful how you reference the bucket when you speak with him. You have to show the bucket its proper respect. Will you translate everything for us when we interview him? Yes. But once he decides the interview is over, it is over. There is nothing I can do. We made camp for the night and then traveled several more hours the next day till we finally reached the Money King's location. Lisa made sure that we approached with great caution. It smells as if he's just eaten. He will be talkative. Will you introduce us? Yes. I have to use my bucket, though. Do not interrupt. Tell him who we are and that we just want to tell his story. Kiluli. Mashasha. Biko Baka. Kolamba. Go. He seems upset. He's upset at you already. He's angry that you didn't bring your own bucket. How dare you, he said. Where is your bucket? You want my story, yet you do not want a bucket. He's referring to you as something I can't repeat. He wants to fight you. I'm sorry, he's ending the interview. Well, what do we do? We will have to come back tomorrow with a bucket. We had to travel four days back to get a bucket, and then another four days to return to the Money King. I was a little annoyed that Lisa didn't anticipate this and mentioned that it might be a good idea to bring my own bucket, but I wasn't going to say anything to her. She was too important to us getting the story that we needed. I was also irritated about how protective she was about this bag of granola that she carried with her on the trip. She let us try it, and we all really liked it. But then she became protective over it and made a big deal about rationing it on the journey, even though we had plenty of food. 
Again, the money king was not going to speak to us without her, so I wasn't going to harp on the whole granola thing, either. Oh, and she's really flirty with the crew, too. Anyway, we arrived back at the Money King's home to attempt to interview him again, this time with a bucket. What is he doing? He is bathing. Should we come back later? No, this is his most social time. <laughs> Tell him that I have a bucket now and I respect it. Get away, Uga. He still wants to know if you will fight him. Now that you have your own bucket, it will be fair. Look at how I swing my bucket for protection against you. I swing the bucket in the shape of a sideways eight, and there is no way you can come near me. It is the perfect defense. I throw kicks into the air as I swing my bucket, and you realize that if you are not hit by the bucket, then you will probably be kicked. There is nothing you can do about this. I think I should fight him. Earn his respect. I've never seen him act like this. I don't know what to do. He's so aggressive. What is he saying now? He says he has the sideways ache going pretty good and that his kicks are decent. He says he still has a free arm for karate chops if he needs it. I'm going to do it. I need this story. The greatest financial mind of our time has been reduced to worshipping buckets. I need this story. I'm going to fight him. Don't. I don't know what he'll do. I'm going to do it. No, I... You like buckets so much? Here's a bucket. Oh, my God. What did you do? Is he okay? Ow. My eye, he said. She hit me in the friggin' eye. Oh, man. This hurts. Her bucket had a jagged edge to it. Right in my eye. Man, my eye. Uh, tell him I'm sorry. Melo cheche pasadu. Ne solato basasu. Lemo. Were you aiming for my eye? Wow, you really know how to swing a bucket? Sit down with me. I will tell you whatever you need to know. Oh God, my eye still hurts. Throbbing real good. Ask him quickly why he left everything behind. We need to know the answer to that question before he decides not to talk to us anymore. I had nothing growing up. Nothing. Money when I was a child meant nothing to me. All I needed was my imagination. One day, I found a broken lampshade on the side of the road. It was dirty and torn apart, but I loved it. I could do and be anything with that lampshade. I wrapped it around my waist, and I was the heavyweight champion of the world. I rolled it up tightly to be my telescope to see into outer space. I wore it on my head as a bonnet and recited passages from Little Women. No amount of money could buy the happiness that the lampshade brought me. Ugh, my eye is still killing me. Anyway, eventually, my father, who was a factory worker, had taken my lampshade from me. 
He told me to stop prancing around outside all day with a damn lampshade on my head and focus on school. He burned the lampshade in front of me and told me that my lampshade was in hell. My life became serious after that. Although my lampshade would come to me in my dreams at night and tell me secrets I can never repeat, I would never speak of my lampshade again. This is getting too... weird. Shh. I'm trying to interpret what he's saying. As an adult, I conquered the financial world. I made myself and my clients millions of dollars. I was the most gifted investment officer anyone had ever seen, and my financial advice became sought after by major world leaders. I could have anything I wanted. But then he gave it all up. Why? He's getting to that. Okay, calm down. What is he saying? So annoying. Um, he's talking about his eye again. Oh god, this still hurts. My eye. There must be like, a piece of plastic in there or something. So, I was in a board meeting one day. I saw a janitor walk by the doorway with a cart of cleaning supplies, and a bucket was hanging off the side of his cart. This beautiful bucket seemed so detached from society. It didn't care either way about market fluctuations or interest rates. It was just a bucket. I stood up, walked over to the janitor, and asked if I could have the bucket. He said, sure, what do I care? I took the bucket from him, and walked back into the boardroom and sat down. Everyone in the room stared at me, and I didn't care. I put the bucket on my head. Next thing I know, I was walking on the moon. The bucket was my space helmet. I put one leg inside the bucket, and then I became a pirate sailing the seven seas. I then started to play the bucket, like a drum. Its beautiful and enchanting tones had me dancing all around the room without a care in the world. One of the executives asked me what the hell I was doing, and I swung my bucket at his head and I knocked him out cold. I looked down at his unconscious body, removed my clothes, screamed like an animal at the other board members and leapt out of the room. I ran down to my accountant's office and instructed him on what to do with all of my assets, and then I walked out here. Ask him why he didn't tell anyone where he was going. He says that he didn't have to concern himself with telling anyone about what he was doing. He had his bucket now, and that is all that matters. Money is nothing. Bucket is everything. Look at me, he says. I'm using my bucket as a chair. I want for nothing. Look, I use my bucket as a hat and I dance. How could I desire anything else? Look, my bucket collects water and I splash myself. I hug my bucket when I feel lonely and I scream at my bucket when I am mad. The Money King went on in great and lengthy detail about how he uses his bucket for everything. We had no idea that he would be this chatty. After several hours, we decided that it was time to wrap things up. Look, I roll my bucket down hills and I chase it. How could I want for expensive gym memberships? Look, when the bucket lays on its side, bugs crawl in and I can eat them. How could I ever miss ordering food from my favorite restaurants? Look. Ugh, tell him that's enough. We have to go now. Deo. He is mad that we are leaving. He wants to fight you again, and his eye still hurts. He wants to know when we are returning. Tell him never. This guy's a creep. He wants to lay down a specific time. Nope, never. Let's go. Let's go. Oh God, he's crying. Yeah, let's go. We left the forest that day, never to return. 
Lisa told me on the way home that she didn't want to bring us back to the Money King and show him off like a circus animal. I felt that she was being a bit self-righteous and pretentious about it. I asked her for the recipe for her homemade granola, and she wouldn't give it to me. After a few months passed, I received an email from the Money King. It read, Hey Michelle, you're probably surprised that I'm emailing you. No, I've not figured out a way to connect my bucket to Wi-Fi yet. LOL. I snuck into the library in town to send you this. They are about to kick me out for being naked. So I just want to invite you back up to the forest to show you how I would block you throwing a bucket at me. See you soon. A few weeks after that, I received this voicemail. Hey Michelle, it's the Money King. No, I am not using my bucket to place this call. <laughs> I got a cell phone. I just thought it would be easier to get hold of you if get to know you better. The reception is terrible out here. My eye is still throbbing. Swing the bucket like a figure eight. Block the incoming bucket with my hand. Holy <laughs> cougar! <laughs> My interest and patience for the Money King came to a close when I had to change my number. I will now leave you with the recordings of the last few voicemails from the Money King. Hey Michelle, I forgot to tell you that I'm speaking English again full time. Cougar got me real good. More blood than I ever thought there would be. Super infected. Bucket rolled down the hill so fast I could catch it. Left your bucket out here. Wondering when you're coming back to get move where I blocked the incoming bucket at Wrote you a song. Oh, Cougar's back! <laughs> Looks like the Money King was able to walk away from society. However, what happened? When society walks away from him, one cell phone and a cougar attack later, he's just like the rest of us. This was your third story. Greed can make a person do strange and funny things. In our first tale, three treasure hunters dig for more than they bargain for. This is your first story. me my shovel, Christopher. We must get moving before it gets dark. I brought us some lanterns. I've thought of everything. I brought us some snacks, sandwiches, cheese. Do you think of that, Christopher? Have you thought about bringing snacks? I'm not hungry. Not now you aren't, but after a few hours of us digging for buried treasure, you'll be singing a different tune. Be quiet, you two. Let's get moving to the spot. How do we know where we're going, Sam? 
I've drawn a map based off everything I've ever read about Captain Frederick Burnaby's treasure. I've read everything that's ever been written about him and the routes he would have taken throughout the Atlantic. We know he buried his treasure somewhere in this area, and from everything I've read, it has to be here on Maple Island. Does anyone want any of the cheese that I brought? By my calculations, we must travel north for 100 paces until we reach a clearing. At the center of the clearing is where the treasure is buried. How deep do we have to dig, Sam? I don't know, but the legends all indicate that there will be booby traps along the way. This won't be easy. Hey, it'll be worth it when we find all that gold. Think of how rich and famous we'll be after we find it. I'm going to live in a big, beautiful house and own over 40 horses and name them all human names. I'm going to travel the world in search of more adventure and spend each night with a different woman. Just because you have money doesn't mean that women are going to fall all over you. You still have to be a bit handsome. Naming horses after human names is stupid. Horses should be named after various terms for speed and the color of their fur. I hate you. Please. Let's focus on the treasure. We're almost at the location. What are you going to do with your share of the treasure, Sam? All I care about is actually finding it. It's all about solving the puzzle. Sam, is there any sort of curse we should be worried about with this treasure? Some treasures have evil curses attached to them, and people look for the treasure and up dying. You didn't say anything about there being a curse, Sam. How could you do this to us, Sam? There is no curse. Are you sure? Maybe this treasure carries a curse, but since nobody found it, then nobody knows about the curse. We could be the first to die. There is no curse. We will need to watch out for traps, but there is no such thing as a curse. I trust you, Sam. There is no curse. I also trust you. I trust that you believe that there is no curse. However, since we cannot be 100% certain that there is no curse, we still cannot rule it out as a possibility. Christopher is right. There is still a possibility of certain death from the curse. Stop it. Stop it. Here we are. This is where we start digging. Do we just... Uh start? What do you mean? Did the literature say anything about blessing the spot first, or some type of ritual to protect us from the possible curses? Or... There is no curse. So we just dig until we reach the treasure? Yes, just dig. Uh, should I set up the lanterns I brought? It's not dark yet. Uh, what about food? Should we eat first, or are we risking getting cramps from digging too soon after eating? Let's just start digging, and then we can set up the lanterns after it gets dark, and eat when we get hungry. Now let's begin. No more talking. Dig. Now. <sighs> I'm just starting to realize how much work this is going to be. Should we break for some cheese? Stop talking. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So when do you think we're going to reach the first booby trap, Sam? The booby traps are only a theory, but we must be cautious. What is a likely trap that we could possibly encounter, Sam? I don't know. Just be careful and take your time. That's all I'm saying. I think shooting spikes are most likely. I think falling into a pit of snakes is the most obvious booby trap. Thousands of snakes biting us and filling our bodies with deadly poison, bringing about a quick yet... Horribly painful death. 
spikes shooting into our eyes, ears, and other parts of our bodies, causing us to slowly yet horribly painfully bleed to death. The snakes can speak English and they call us names while they bite us. They call us fatty fat fat fat. We get our feelings hurt and we painfully die of snake bite poisons. The spikes also speak English and they call us super fat gross boys and enough tubs of lard. The snakes have mystical powers fueled by the curse that can- There are no snakes. There are no stupid spikes. And there are no curses. Just dig. Just dig. Sorry, sorry for making you so angry, Sam. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. It's fine. Let's just forget about it. Timothy, do you think it's the curse that's causing Sam to become angry at us? Since we do not understand the curse and what it is capable of, yes, I think it is a very strong possibility. I think the booby traps are psychological. After days upon days of digging, we slowly turn against each other. Sam and I kill you first, Timothy. Then I kill Sam. Then do you kill yourself? No. Why? The curse? No, the curse is over at that point. Wait, wait. I thought this was a mental booby trap, not the curse. Oh, no, no. They're one and the same. They are two separate issues. The curse put the booby traps where they are, and the curse has full control over everything. No. No, you're wrong. The heroic treasure hunters dig for the gold and overcome many, many spike-themed booby traps to then realize, once they reach the bottom, that the gold has been cursed this whole time. And you can't enjoy gold if you're dead from a curse. What was that? I, uh, I hit him. With your shovel? Yes, yes, with my shovel. Here. Why? He was making me angry over the... You know, the whole curse thing. He wouldn't agree with me. He's, he's, he's not moving, Christopher. Really? I, I think I think he's dead. Oh, that's too bad. Should we just dig around him then, or...? No, we need to lift him out of the hole. He's not a small man, you know. We can at least lift him out of the hole and then bury him after we find the treasure. <sighs> Fine. Look, this situation is hard to understand right now. But, be, but before we go back down into this hole, I need to know that you're not going to try to kill me. Oh, I would never kill you, Sam. You're my friend. But you just killed Timothy. Oh, I'm confident that was just the curse. But there's no curse. <laughs> well, whatever you say, Sam. You know, Sam, if there's no curse, then why do I have an overwhelming urge to hit you with my shovel? You, you don't. Oh, but I do. For some reason, I feel like hitting you with my shovel is the only way to ensure that I will stay alive and find the treasure. That, 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 that's not true. Uh, you need me to help. Uh, put the shovel down and let's talk about this. Uh, I think I'm going to do it, Sam. Christopher, no. Please, Sam, let me do this. Let me pound your skull with my shovel. It's what the curse wants. Stop it, Christopher! Why did you make me do that, Christopher? Oh, God. I have to lift his body out of the hole by myself. Oh, curse! Oh, I'm so stupid! What? 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 What is this? It's a chest. I found it. I found Captain Barnaby's treasure. What? There, 
is no gold. Just, just a piece of paper. He who finds this letter for worse shall suffer from a dreaded curse. The punishment for ye big mistakes is a bunch of spikes and a pit of snakes. What? Oh, spikes! Really? You gotta be kidding me! There's a curse, you fat idiots! <laughs> Financial gain will always have consequences. And in this first tale, our three fat boys paid the ultimate price. This was your first story. Technology can be a very dangerous thing. In our first tale, we go way back to the Old West to see if the desire to conquer time either lands you in the future or locked away forever. This is your first story. Howdy there, Henry. Well, ain't you a sight for sore eyes if it ain't Arnold Hanson? Why, it's good to see you. Grab a seat and tell me where you've been. What can I get you to drink? Whiskey. Arnold, everyone has been asking about you. Ain't nobody seen you in months. That ain't none of their business. Well, can you at least tell me? I've been serving you here for years and years and listening to all your problems. I mean, gambling debt after gambling debt and, and getting in fistfights with all those elderly people and finding strange problems with your own body and getting me to diagnose it. Stop it. And I don't know nothing about no lumps or no bumps. So you owe me that much. Tell me where you been. I've been working. Working on what? Now, I know you ain't been tending to your farm on account I walk by it every day. I haven't been working on the farm, Henry. I've been working on something else. Well, what are you doing? You got a job on that new railroad? No, I've been...
building something. Something not built before. Not built before? Something new. Something so different. Hard to put into words. You know I ain't no good at explaining. If you can't put it into words, and how'd you build it? I thunk it. I thunk so hard it just came out in my hands. I just started building. It came from a dream. This here's getting a little funny for my taste. Now, maybe we shouldn't, uh... I laid my head down one night. Oh, you're keeping on going. All right. I went to bed normal. Then everything changed. I woke up next to Edith, my wife, in a cold sweat. Ah, ah. What is it, baby? Are you okay? I dreamt something. Are you dreaming about the devil again, baby? No, I told you. I killed him in my last dream. He's dead and gone now. Then what is it, baby? I dreamt that I was in the not now, but the soon to be. The what? I dreamt that it was not in this place, but in the same place, but a different day. Can you be a bit clearer, baby? I'm trying. <sighs> Take your time. I dreamt I was in tomorrow. You gotta stop taking your dreams so seriously, baby. This was real. Edith, there were all sorts of things there that we don't have here. Let's go back to sleep. No, I'm telling you about my dream. How real it was. Going to tomorrow ain't possible. Down the road in time didn't happen yet. In the dream, I got there with a machine. A traveling machine. A traveling machine of time. I wish the devil was back in your dreams. Knock some sense into you. A traveling machine of time. A traveling machine of time. This kind of talk ain't allowed in my bar. I suggest you get out of here. You gotta believe me, Henry. You asked me what I was up to, and now I'm telling you, I thought you were my dear friend. Fine, keep going, but keep it quiet. If anybody in this here bar hears you speaking to crazy machines that travel through minutes and hours and days, then they are going to shoot you where you stand, Arnold Hanson. Now, against my better judgment and against everything I believe in, keep going. I'll hear the rest. In the dream, I saw things that I ain't never seen before. In the tomorrow days, they got trains. Well, heck, we got trains, Arnold. They building a railroad just right over... Flying trains. Flying trains? Arnold, you are gonna get us arrested talking like that out in public. The sheriff is sitting right over there. They got other things, too. Please, don't speak them. I've heard enough. In my dream, I saw people all dressed funny in silver clothes with metal on their backs that would shoot fire so they could fly. The people fly too? Everything flies in the soon-to-be. Shut your mouth now. I saw these creatures from outer space. No, stop. Little green people from other worlds. I said stop it. They had people made of nuts and bolts called robots. 
who did everything for them. Cook, clean, raise the children, everything. Nuts and bolts, people. The Lord himself is going to strike you down right where you stand if you keep this up. You sit there and you listen. You listen good. In my dream, I travel to the soon-to-be in a machine. A machine all fancy and made of nice things, shiny things. What? I built one. I built one just like in my dream, and I am going to travel to the not now. You ain't built no machine that travels away from today. No way! I got it parked right outside this here bar. I'm leaving right now. Just came to say goodbye. What? The little green men have taken over Earth, and they are making the people do things that they don't want to do. The good people of the not now, but the soon-to-be need my help. Arnold, everyone can hear you! I don't care if they hear. Everyone, look out that there window. That fancy machine is my traveling machine of time. It is made of fancy things and looks like a Christmas tree decoration, except big, and I can fit in it. It will take me to the not now, but the soon to be, and I will be saving the earth from the little green men who are not nice men. Come on now, Sheriff. Arrest him. Now, Arnold, that kind of talk is illegal in these here parts. Arnold, I knew I would find you here. You come back home with me right now and stop this nonsense! Do not try to stop me, Edith. Listen to your wife now, Arnold. Go home. If you leave inside that stupid-looking silver ball and try to go to the down-the-road times, then I will not be here when you get back. When you get back to this here time, I mean. Now. Right now, I mean. It's what I mean. Edith, this here green men thing in the soon-to-be is bigger than anything you and I have been fighting about here in the now. I have to go. Now you won't be going anywhere, Mr. Hanson. I'm placing you under arrest. In this town, we only believe in today. Come with me. Get your hands off me, Sheriff. I knew your dreams were gonna get you in trouble, Arnold. Time travel is only possible if you're going backwards, you idiot. Now everyone just settle down now. Arnold, it's time for you to make a decision. Denounce in front of all of us good people here that you do not believe you can jump in that giant Christmas ball and fly to the soon-to-be and defeat the far superior little green men or suffer the consequences. Here, in the today times, what's it gonna be? What's it gonna be, Arnold? Stay here and tell me that you love me? Or jump in that dumb thing and die alone? What's it gonna be? I've decided the right thing to do would be to save the damn world and kill those little green men. Goodbye, Edith. I will still love you tomorrow when I get to tomorrow today. Arnold, no! 
explode up. I'm on fire. Save me. Help me. He's on fire. Well, this here is unfortunate. I gotta admit, though, for a second, that big stupid ball lit up so nice, I thought he was gonna zip right off into the soon-to-be. You keep talking like that, Henry, and I gotta lock you away. Oh, I'm sorry, Sheriff. I forgot my place. Ain't no such thing as the soon-to-be. Big dreams can have even bigger consequences. As Mr. Hansen found out, just because it almost worked doesn't mean it will ever work. This, uh, this, uh, my, uh, my effect is gone. Hello? Uh, it's, my effect isn't working. Um, the music cut out. Hello? Um, this was your first story. The da 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 da. Hello. And that's the show this week. Please connect with us through whatever method and medium strikes your fancy. We do love to hear from you, be it through our email at sonicsociety at gmail.com, the Facebook groups, or indeed our Twitter handles. And remember, next week will be the last chance you have to get your Nadsrim goals in order as February 1st sparks the darkest month of the year, but the brightest ideas. Oh, I like that. Like you wrote it, Jack. You, you wrote it. I'm just, I, I'm merely a puppet for your voice. So until next week, when we are chalk full of bright ideas ourselves, as we bring an exciting new series and an amazing new page in modern audio drama history, I'm David dum, Alt. Dum, dum. <laughs> I'm Jack Ward. Good night, everyone. Good night. Sonic Society is written and produced weekly by Jack J. Ward and David Alt, with original music by Sharon B. at SharonB.com. All features, interviews, and audio drama shorts are owned completely by their originators and provided to the Sonic Society by Creative Commons Licensing. The Society itself originates from Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Thanks for listening. This has been an Electric Vicuna production. Hi, my name is Tracy Babian, co-author of the Carlson Chronicles podcast. My husband, J.A. Babian, the main author, had a triple stroke in the latter part of August of this year. Jerry was lifelighted to Tulsa, Oklahoma, with a brain bleed that the doctors thought they were going to have to do surgery on him, which surely would have killed him. Thank the Lord they didn't. He survived that brain bleed and swelling, but he is in need of so much for his recovery. I have started a GoFundMe to help 
with all the costs that I just don't have. I retired back in April of this year so that I could take care of Jerry, as he was starting to show signs then that I just didn't catch. Little did I know this would be a blessing in disguise. He is fighting this setback of memory loss and 75% use of his right leg, arm, along with his cognitive speech. Considering the doctor said he would not make it, I consider him to be a miracle. Medicare has only granted 12 visits of physical and speech therapy twice a week. He needs at least six months worth of speech therapy alone. That is a total of $4,000 we need to pay up front that I just don't have. So far, we have had $775 in donations of the 10000 we need come in. Please donate today so that he can get his needed medication, therapy, and also help pay bills that Medicare just will not cover, even if it's only $5. I update this account so folks can see his progress. You can go to my Facebook account, Tracy Babian VO, to find the pinned link with the title Jerry Babian Stroke Victim Needs. Jerry says, thank you. I still have a lot to write on my stories that I want to get done. Please help me to achieve that goal. Thank you in advance for your donation. Tracy Babian